Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Ross FM 94.6, your local community radio station in Roscommon. Your local community radio in Roscommon. That's a nice new sting, a nice voice, so it is. Absolutely a packed show, really interesting show, I think, for you today. I am delighted to have an old friend of mine back here in the station, Des O'Regan. Des, you're welcome to the Arts Programme. Thank you very much, Arsa. Looking forward to it. Beautiful morning. It is absolutely beautiful morning, and there was no snow and no frost. I know. I was kind of worried last Monday when we were talking that you wouldn't be able to make it and that I wouldn't be able to make it either. Thanks for the helicopter. I appreciate that. You're very, very kind. (laughs) Ross FM, go out of the way. And the landing pad out there is absolutely a dream. It is packed there this morning. People are queuing up to get on and off. It's an International Women's Day today. It's That's why they're all going with their bags. I, I think it's a wonderful thing, International Women's Day, and I'm glad to um, have posted a, a wonderful old a photograph of a lady baking the cake a, a long time ago. Well, it's not a photograph, it's a painting. It's a painting. <laughs> well, it was a photograph yeah. from, from a photograph. But it's a beautiful painting. I yes. have it here. Beautiful painting of a, a, an Irish mammy uh, baking, baking a cake, a cake. Baking but a it could be cake. any any mammy. It doesn't necessarily yeah. it's all women of no, that era. What did you tell me? Nineteen fifty. It's a whole concept of what Irish women actually went through. You know, the, the, the manual work from washing to cleaning to kids to everything else, and it's only now in the last ten or twenty years there there's sort of a level pitch that has been given to Irish women and it's still not there but it's almost so you know they, they, there's much more um, I, I think it's fantastic the way uh, the, 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 the women's life has changed from my mother's time and the, the workload so there you are yeah times have changed but I remember being on a programme another time and I was talking to another artist who, who would write plays and that sort yeah. of thing Jean was her name and she said <clears throat> Back in her day, when her mum was around, she pushed them around in the pram and she went to the butchers and she talked to everybody along there and then she went down to the bakery and she got whatever bread she was getting and there was days that you went and you got the children's allowance and you spoke to everybody that day and you pushed your children around and the whole neighbourhood knew the children, the whole neighbourhood knew your whole family um, and that is not there today. No. Um, and I'm not saying that it's right or wrong, but it just it brings me back to what she had to say, that you got the news of the day, you knew what was going on, who was sick, who was... Well, I, I can in other words, it was the day before, long before mobiles and communications, so people talked. Yeah. And that is something that is disappearing out of society as a thing I feel about. That's the lack of communication, the actual verbal looking at a person, looking into your face, looking at a person's eyes, sitting down, having a coffee, rather than having a Zoom call or having a mobile texting, which is, again, there's it, nothing, nothing personal. It's the same on radio. I prefer yeah. my guests coming in because then you can feel... You can really see what I look yeah. like. Well, you can, can see what you look like. All we have to do is look you up on Facebook. Look up Des O'Regan on Facebook. It's a great picture. Of better again, on. I could see you. <laughs> I'm sure I'm on Facebook and too, And you'll Des. make my day, I can assure you. <laughs> Thank you ever so much. Now, um, can I also introduce Cathy Rose O'Regan, um, Senior Film Restorer with uh, San Francisco Silent Film Festival, International Women's Day, all the way from San Francisco. You're welcome here. Thank you, Ursula. Lovely to be here. Um, my father does. That's why we have the same last name. <laughs> Dad only makes girls, so he's very into international women. <laughs> well, he All is. He's very supportive of, of yes. Is, yeah. And a lot of a lot of your dad's uh, art would be of women. She only knows women. <laughs> but it is really. I mean, you have the the man on the bike, and you have the three men sitting uh, on the stool on the um, out in the the chair outside yeah. but a lot of your artists would be women a lot of would be because I mean I've been journey. influenced by women all my life because I've had and what I do is I just keep my mouth shut when women talk and then so you I d- let you enjoy <laughs> and then you, you paint it only if we're true and then, <laughs> I, and then afterwards I paint it <laughs> and tell the story the true story <laughs> the true story of what was happening really but it is International Women's Day and I suppose we would all three of us uh, wish every woman yeah. and wish everybody a lovely International Women's Day regardless of what sex you are uh, regardless of where you come to be in uh, our world today um, 
may uh, find happiness, peace, love and health. And I think very, it's, very nice. yeah, it's, it's for everybody, really. It's, um, it's open for everybody. And, and I think our, our lives have changed yeah. a bit as well. It's not them or us anymore. Um, we're all, all a community. Um, Cathy, tell us a little bit about yourself. About myself? Well, I am from Gort, County Galway where I grew up with my father, Desmond, here, and my two sisters and my mum. Yeah, and I have been working in the field of audiovisual preservation for over a decade in the US. I've lived in San Francisco for 15 years, moved there with a friend to just kind of spend a few months and have a good time in California. Then but you did. my wonderful <laughs> Californian husband on day three, so still there 15 years later. Yeah, and we've been back and forth. We lived in London for a while. We've been, we were in Ireland for a few months, but, you know, California always calls us back. So it's a nice place to live. And you didn't start off your life wanting to be in the film industry or anything to do no. with films or anything to do with art, really. You did an art. Oh, yeah, yeah sorry. No, I mean, art, I mean, I always knew I wanted to do something creative. Right, OK. School, it was, you know, art and English were the only things I really cared about. And then I went to art school in Galway. I graduated almost 20 years ago now and had a, you know, fantastic experience, but knew I wasn't going to be an artist at 21. So I moved around, travelled. Lived the life. Yeah. Student life. Yeah, did lots of different jobs. Ended up bartending in California, which was very lucrative. But as I came to the end of my 20s, I realized that that wasn't the life I wanted, you know. Um, And film has always been my big passion. Um, But I knew I didn't want to work in production. So I did a few internships um, to see if there was another way of working in the field of cinema without working in a production environment. Um, I interned at one small archive, one small film archive. And I also actually interned at the San Francisco Silent Film Festival. 11 years ago now um, and through both of those experiences I realised that really like restoration and archiving were something I was very passionate about and um, yeah I felt like a place where I could make my career so I went back to school at the George Eastman Museum in Rochester, New York I spent a very snowy, snowy year in upstate New York trained as a film preservationist um, and then moved back to San Francisco and I've worked in the field there ever since we're lucky to have a very um, kind of small but very tight-knit archival and film community in San Francisco, which my husband is also a part of. Oh, right. um, so, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great place to work. Um, yeah, that's me in a nutshell. So what you do is you um, somehow or other film is brought to your attention, whether that's a homemade film or whether it's a professional film. Yeah. And this is international uh, as well. Yeah, so we're the San Francisco Silent Film Festival. Right. Um, so obviously we are a film festival. Um, we've been around for 28 years now, and so we began an exhibition, exhibition of silent cinema in San Francisco, always with live music, as silent film would have been experienced during the silent era. Our festival has grown exponentially over the last 28 years and about, I think it was 12 years ago before I was a part of the festival, we began working on film restoration as well because without film restoration, so much cinema, full stop, but particularly silent cinema, can't be accessible. Um, And yeah, from the first year when we restored one movie to this year where we're restoring, you know, 10, I think uh, 10 titles between features and shorts. It's just every year we've been getting more and more projects. Um, We work with archives all over the world also within the US um, and we work mainly on you know feature films and a few shorts but recently I mean the reason I'm in Ireland today is because we worked on um, a short collection of ethnographic footage that was filmed in on the Dingle Peninsula in Kerry in 1925 and 26 which the Dublin International Film Festival premiered the restoration um, last week and then we also brought it down to the Dingle Peninsula last week which was a truly marvellous experience. Um, can, we, can we just Back, back there. Yeah. The name of the production is the... Oh, so, yeah, so um, at DIFF, at the Dublin International Film Festival and down in Dingle, we presented it as a programme called The Accidental Anthropologist. Now, tell us a little bit about this gentleman. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So this man was called Benjamin True Galt, the man who shot the footage. He was an ornithologist from Chicago. Ornithologist is... Um, the study of birds, birds the right. study of bird life. Yeah. Um, so he came to the Dingle Peninsula for two years, 1925 to 1926, to study the, you know, wide the range birds. of bird life down there. I have to say, I'm not. <laughs> not international into birds. women say the birds. They look lovely on the film, <laughs> but like <laughs> I don't know that much about them. But so he stayed down there and he lived in the community, and there's still like 
well, I wouldn't say people have memories of him, but people still have stories of him down there because he did make a big impact. You know, he's coming from a totally different world, lived there for two years, um, and he, you know, he collected bird specimens, took photographs, took notes, but he also, because he would have been a wealthier man, brought a 35mm film camera with him and shot moving image footage of the birds, but also um, turned his camera on the people of Kerry. So we are very lucky to have been able to find some of that footage. Thanks entirely to the um, research of a local historian on the Dingle Peninsula called um, Mike Omanin. So he, um, Mike, located this footage in Chicago, but his uncle had been looking for the footage in the 70s because they all knew that this man, Benjamin Gott, had been there with a moving image camera, but sure, no one knew, knew what happened to the footage. Like, they knew that his collection was in the Chicago Academy of Sciences, but there wasn't any way of accessing it in the say, 60s, 70s, 80s. But luckily, Mike was able to get in contact with archivists in Chicago and they were able to confirm that there was, in fact, footage. And then that's where the Irish Film Institute came in. They were made aware of the um, discovery, were obviously very eager to get their hands on the footage. And then they contacted us. Um, our board president, who is, um, a senior, who is a film restorer, is based in Dublin a lot of the year and would know a lot of people at the Irish Film Institute. So that's right. Rob Byrne, our board president, um, he was eager to work on a project with the IFI, so we thought this was a great opportunity to work together in that we are an American organization. The footage was shot by an American in Ireland, so it was a good way to kind of work collaboratively with the Chicago Academy of Sciences and the Irish Film Institute. So we took on the restoration of the works, which were scanned in America at an American film lab. Then we received the digital version of these films. We did kind of digital cleanup and stabilization, and then sent the footage back to the lab, where it was then printed back to film. Um, okay. So now it's safe going into the future because the old films were starting to degrade. Yeah, I was just trying to think, because the film would, the um, the mechanics and the um, whatever was used at the time probably would be going out of date, going into decay. Yeah. Um, so it was all nitrate film, so it was um, nitrate film is the form of film it's the sort of plastic that was used up until about 1950 um, and while it's stable if it's kept in the right conditions so in kind of like low humidity and low temperature levels um, it is a very volatile material in that it is has explosive properties <laughs> it has some of the same properties as um, actual explosives is in dynamite so that is why there was really? a lot of fires during the silent era in archives and sometimes in cinemas um, so while it's volatile if it's kept in the wrong conditions, primarily if it is exposed to too much heat. Luckily, this was kept in um, a vault in an archive, so it was in good condition, but it was starting to degrade, like nitrate does start to degrade after a certain point if it isn't kept in exactly the right conditions. And we have no idea how long it was in the vault, where it was before that. So while the, the image quality is still quite good, we can see in some of the shots that the, footed, the uh, material itself, the plastic itself, is starting to degrade. So we're very lucky that Mike found the footage at the when time that did. he did. Because yeah. if it had been 10 years later, there is a chance that it would have degraded to a point where there's there's just no image left. And then all of the footage we um, were so lucky to receive access to would just have been gone. We um, never have seen these people again. Historically, that is very important. Mm -hmm. Hugely, hugely. Huge, I mean, it's... For a country like Ireland, where we just didn't have the industry of, say, America or the wealth or for a wide range of reasons. We just, there isn't that much footage of the people of Ireland, and particularly in more rural areas in Ireland in that era. It was right after the Civil War. You were poor, you know, starting to move towards self-determination in this country, but still recovering from the Civil War, no industry yet. Um, so there really just wasn't, wasn't much footage unless people were coming from wealthier nations and shooting. Like We were just lucky that Benjamin Galt wanted to study Irish bird life, you know, and that he did decide to film people going about their daily lives. So in the film uh, that's restored... Is it quite interesting to watch oh, the then and now? Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, it's only about 26 minutes worth of footage and actually about, oh, I guess, about a quarter of that is footage that was shot in the United States because when we located the footage, obviously it was a mix of a few things and there was some footage shot in the US. We've obviously restored all of it. We weren't yeah. just doing the Irish stuff. Um, but the stuff in Ireland is incredible. There's obviously a lot of bird life, which is interesting if you like birds. It is very beautiful. <laughs> but um, as regards the footage of the people of Ireland, um, there's a lot of footage of well, a lot there's footage of old farming practices so scything hay 
picking Blue. potatoes, moving like the lobster <clears throat> traps in horse and cars, moving turf down the mountain. Like I didn't even know that Peter was dug down in Kerry. I mean, I haven't been to Kerry very often, to be honest. Um, so yeah, it's, and the dog with the pipe. There's a dog with the pipe. Yes, there's a what? There was this was a story that people had remembered that um, there had been a dog smoking a pipe, a dog with a pipe in its mouth. He's not smoking it, obviously. That had been filmed by Benjamin God, and that was in fact some of the footage we found. And so it's a very short little clip of a teenage boy sitting in long grass with two little black dogs running around him, and one of them has a pipe in his mouth. And it was yeah, pretty delightful to realise when we got the footage that. That yeah. that particular little scene that had been remembered, you know, was one of the things that was captured and one of the things we had access to. So yeah, it was delightful. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, now that we're not cutting turf anymore, mm-hmm. probably we're not capturing or fishing in the same way as we were Absolutely. in them days. I mean, there's footage of fishing in Kirks, which obviously yeah. today, if you see a Kirk, it's purely for like kind of Pleasure. historical purposes yeah. or recreation. Yeah, yeah. You know, and the so sheep tied in the Kirk. Yeah, <laughs> they're moving the Kirks out. I mean, I think it must be to one of the islands. Um, but the Kirk is there's like two men in it, and it's full of sheep. And Mike was actually telling us when we were down in Kerry that what they would do is they would tie three of their legs together so that the sheep couldn't get up. But it was a quick release knot, so that if you know, the sheep fell overboard they would just pull it and then the sheep was free immediately and it was, it's just yeah it's incredible to see especially on the big screen you know I had worked on it for so long because we started working during Covid and just everything slowed down during Covid when you're trying to get yeah. projects done so I worked on it for much longer than I would normally have worked on a collection of that size but always on a smaller screen obviously and when you're working on a restoration you're not really watching the footage you're you're looking at the frame you're I mean you know, I'm looking to see what needs to be the quality yeah exactly if something needs to be dusted if it's stable yeah. enough if there's any errors that we've introduced digitally which we have to be incredibly cautious that we are not introducing any modern artifacts what we're trying to do is bring the film back to as closely as possible to how it originally appeared when it was yeah. originally shot. So really, you don't watch it no. in any true sense. So to get to see it on the big screen was really, honestly, it was really moving to to see something I'd been looking at for so long, but not really looking at in you know like a concentrated sense. Like I'm a big cinema lover. I spend a lot of time at the cinema, but when I'm working on something, it's a different it's part a different, of my brain yeah. that works on it. Yeah, it's it's totally different. Sometimes when you're in something, you don't actually see it. Yeah, yeah, same as anything. Like if you're making a piece of art it's yes. the same thing you know you're concentrating entirely but you, it's hard to stand back from it sometimes and really you know well Cathy arrived back about three years ago on her computer screen with footage of this oh when we first yeah when it was first, first found and she looked at it and she said dad where is that so she blew up at a section I saw one shop and it said Osula on I said it, it can be only one place carry and it was and was it all in one village in Kerry or did it say um, yeah it's all the majority of it is in Ballyferrisher um, and then there's some stuff on the islands um, and then there's a tiny little piece of footage in Cork City which is great my mother is from Cork City and my four grandparents are all from Cork so I was very excited to see Cork and it shows the old like the like double decker trams the old trams the yeah. double decker trams Cork. I asked my mum if she remembered them yeah. mum was like I was born in 1960 Cathy I don't remember the trams <laughs> but I was like I don't know what it was like in the 60s well, the, the, the um, um, thing about it is um, the thing about it is that um, I was just thinking to myself for we'd say national school mm-hmm. going forward um, going forward children will have the opportunity to see what it was like Absolutely. back in them times because as I said we're not going to be cutting turf in the future yeah. now while you and I might I, I was never actually physically cutting no, turf I. but I know the <laughs> The process. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would, again, I suppose I was in Hoth and I seen fish be brought in in a yeah. lobster type cage type yeah, of thing. Yeah. But again, I don't know very much about it and I don't know how they sort out or anything like that. But for children who nowadays wouldn't see any of that, yeah. that would be. Um, yeah. Like that would invaluable. be so valuable. Yeah, I mean that's that's the power of moving images. You know, like oh, photo- photography and other ways of recording images. Obviously, can always give you a sense of how something functioned. But to see a moving image is a, uh, it makes I think it brings a sense of reality to an action that uh, isn't necessarily possible from a still image. And you know, we live in an era where moving images in so many forms are so ubiquitous that for young people, especially as you said, kids today, a moving image makes so much more sense to them when they're trying to learn than a, a still image. So yeah, we're very lucky to have accessed this material. Cathy, you realise I'm a kid so I have to go and see it. 
I'll have to go and see it. <laughs> I'm just going to be going to the ads here now in a second and I'll come back. I'd like to know a little bit more about um, other uh, still films that you have restored or, you know, internationally or whatever. But we'll just go to the ads here first uh, and uh, we'll come straight back to you. It's caught me on the hop there. We were we were chatting about um, Mr. Galt and his uh, arrival in Ireland. Um, so we were, um, in case you just joined me, I'm absolutely delighted to have with me Des O'Regan, artist, um, who's been on, on the arts programme before, is a friend of the arts programme, is friends with uh, Ross FM on Facebook and friends with myself. And I'm sure a lot of you know his art, his work, absolutely amazing work. But I'm also thrilled and delighted to have Cathy Rose O'Regan here, uh, Des's daughter. And uh, Cathy is a senior film restorer with San Francisco Silent, Fis- Silent Film Festival. That's me. It's a fair amount of work. Yes, yeah, I know it's a lot of words. At least here I can say film because in America everyone says film, and I yeah. have been made fun of very much in my and career. And I would the same when I was in England. <laughs> I'd say film, and they'd go what? Yeah. yeah. I always think I'm saying it the American way, and then they'll be like, oh, "You didn't really." You didn't. <laughs> no, but. So we're talking about um, uh, still pieces that were uh, recovered, restored. Uh, by Cathy and her organisation and uh, was brought to the International Film Festival. Uh, uh, the it's Dublin International Film Festival. Yeah. yeah. So um, they brought us over for the premiere of the restoration and we always have live music at our silent events and when Diff puts on silent events I think they always have live music. So we were incredibly lucky to have Deirdre and Aoife Granville um, who are two women from the Dingle Peninsula who are exceptionally talented musicians a company so it was yeah it was really really special to have them there they're both Gwailgors they're from the area they know the history of the place so it was yeah particularly striking to have and you know as you said on International Women's Day exciting to have women accompanying the film because it isn't always the case and again I suppose International Women's Day part of the story would have been women's life as well as men's life in the uh, Dingle Peninsula yeah, in, yeah. in I mean a lot of the footage of the people is from um, kind of like working mixed. on farms so it is primarily men um, but then there's footage of kind of people socialising so there's dancing on the street in Ballyferreter and we actually went to the house to to the street in Ballyferreter and mm. the houses are still there where they were been dancing so there's a lot of women in those scenes um, yeah and, uh, so there's a few other kind of household scenes there's a, a, quite a bit of footage of people going in and out of the church in Ballyferreter and it's really interesting because all of the women went in first and they're all wearing not and like the full all wearing full black and like the full shawls not even just the little I can't remember the word the little hand Mantella Mantella yes my mum I'm telling my age <laughs> um, yes yeah, so they all go in first and then all the men are lined up against the wall opposite the church and once the women have gone in they all rush in so it was really interesting to see you know I mean I am not a practicing anything but would have grown up in the Catholic church but yeah, you know a but very it's... different Catholic church so it was kind of interesting to see that you know yeah, it wasn't that long ago. No, it wasn't that and long so ago, but it just shows you, yeah. Gender wise, and yeah, so those is really interesting. Actually, I was talking to, um, we'll say, an older woman, a much older woman. She's in her nineties, mm-hmm. and um, there was a funeral recently, and she mm-hmm. said to me. Um, Oh, was it was a lovely funeral. There were seven priests on the altar. <laughs> That's a lot. Oh of my God! And you know, I, I just, <laughs> I just thought, I don't think it'd be something I would think of. I wouldn't cross my mind. But yeah. for her. The that amount of priests that turned up to, yeah. showed the worth of the person that died. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's Isn't very different. Yeah, and I suppose that's going back to you know the restoring of your film in the archives, the the stories, what yeah. what was important yeah, at the well, time. Exactly, you know, and whether that was negative or positive, it's still important. It was history for us to, to have access to the information, you mm-hmm. know, to contextualize the times we live in today. You know, can you tell me? Can you tell me a little bit about Mr. Galt? Galt. Benjamin Galt, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I worked on the film, so the Chicago Academy of Sciences would have more information on him, but yeah, he was an ornithologist when he came to Ireland, I believe he was in his, I think he was in his 50s, from the stories from the people of the Dingle Peninsula, he was a very kind, generous, quite a quiet man, Um, yeah, I just, like I said, I don't have... Ornithology is not my bag. Cinema is my bag. (laughs) Okay. I I don't know how that's relevant, Mm. but yes. (laughs) And people from the area remember him taking the footage? Um, well at this and point there's no one who directly remembers but the stories have been passed down through the families because he lived with a family, um, I can't remember the name of the family okay. but for the whole time he was there because it wasn't like 
There was nothing no, like the carry of today. It you couldn't rent out a, a cottage. Actually, and, the building he stayed in with the people is now a hotel, but in that era, it obviously wasn't. Okay. So, um, yeah, and I guess he had rented two rooms. One was for living, and then one was his workroom, you know. So, he must have been quite a wealthy man to I be able to do so. that. Yeah, yeah. I think he came from quite a large family, but he was the only child who survived, so... All right. Have, yeah. Okay, well, we must... Uh, must uh, now, tell me something. Uh, and listeners, you want to write this down. Um, will we be able to see this archive? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We are very eager to um, provide as much access to the material as possible. Um, so we are. We will be recording the music to accompany the film soon. Obviously, we had the live performances, but we will yes. do a studio recording. Um, so the footage will be available on the IFI player. So it's the Irish Film Institute player, which is a fantastic resource available worldwide, um, where the Irish Film Institute or the Irish Film Archive, they're the same organisation, um, put a huge amount of footage related to Irish history online, available free to the public. It's a national institution. Um, and it'll also be available on the San Francisco Silent Film Festival website. We have an online screening room where we also have um, a number of our previous restorations are available for viewing there. They all have a musical accompaniment as well that we've commissioned from a number of different artists we work with. I'll just go back to that. The IFI player... Yeah. Um, that's one of the sites that you'd be able to access to see um, this. Um, yeah. I don't have a date yet, but it'll be in the coming months. We're in the coming months when, when the music everything. is put together. Yeah, I mean, the restoration really was just completed, so we're kind of yes. just getting the final elements. And the other away. place then you'll be able to find it is the San Francisco Silent Film. Um, so it's the San Francisco Silent Film Festival website, but website. it's just silentfilm.org. Silentfilm.org. Yeah. So on either of them, and I suppose silentfilm.org, you'll be able to see other uh, films that were restored yeah. by yourselves. Yeah, yeah. And we don't have, um, because a lot of our works are collaborative, we're not able to provide access to all of our materials okay. that we've restored, but a number of materials. Um, I couldn't tell you the exact number, but we have quite a few features. And then we also have other things available, so kind of like talks we've presented and during COVID we did, because obviously we weren't doing live events, we did quite a long series of, um, we did um, master classes with our musicians that we work with including a master class with um, Carter Burwell who is the Coen Brothers composer and um, Richard Linklater's composer, so we were I'm very excited to be able to work with them and an artist named DJ Spooky who we've worked with extensively um, and then we also did a long series of interviews with archivists so we talked to archivists all over the world about different things they're working on related to silent cinema specifically and in some cases to kind of like the switching over from the era of silent to talkies and something you said earlier on was um, silent film doesn't matter what uh, language it was done in because there's no talking. Yeah. It can be uh, subtitled in whatever language you want yeah, it in. That's something I think people who aren't, who don't have an interest in silent cinema or an awareness of don't really realise. And it's something I hadn't thought about much before I no, became involved I. <laughs> in this field is that there was. There was, sil- there was a silent industry all over the world, a silent film industry, um, but language, there wasn't a language barrier because, say, if a film was made in Japan and was sent to the United States, they would simply cut out the Japanese intertitles that were describing the action and put them in in English in the same way that if a Hollywood movie was sent to Denmark, they would cut out the English titles and put in Danish titles. So there was actually a lot more international transfer of cinema during the silent era than in the, the time immediately preceding it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can get that. Um, I had something else that I wanted to ask you there now, and it's gone out of my head. Um, so you would have worked on international um, international um, silent films as well, mm-hmm. um, and some of them will be available on your uh, website. Yes, indeed. Is there... <laughs> Is there much sort of school interest in this? Is there much museum interest in, in people, uh, museum and schools, I would imagine? Yeah, I mean, it's very, it can be very dependent on the project. I mean, as regards museums, the first major archive in the film archive in the US was the Museum of Modern Art. Iris Barry, who was a curator there, realised in the 30s that cinema was a new art form and needed to be preserved and treated as art. So she set up the MoMA archive, which is astronomically important in the field of moving image restoration now and actually the San Francisco Silent Film Festival uh, we recently in 2020 we restored a film with MoMA 
um, Foolish Wives by Eric von Stroheim, which is a two and a half hour long film made by Stro von Stroheim, who was a really important filmmaker in the silent era. And some mo more modern audiences might know him from the movie Sunset Boulevard, oh, yeah. where he plays Gloria Swanson's kind of butler. And he's very much playing kind of a parody of himself in that. But he was a hugely important director. Um, so we restored Foolish Wives. We premiered it at the um, Il Cinema Trovato in Bologna, which is a, a very big film of restoration last summer. We, well, that was the European premiere. We obviously premiered it ourselves in the US. Yeah. It's screening extensively worldwide. Um, so, yeah, so there's, as regards museums, from kind of the 30s onwards in the US, at least, there's been a lot of interest in preserving film, and that has since spread worldwide. Um, and for schools, it depends. I mean, we do our live events regularly in San Francisco, and some films are more appealing to students than others, but we would do a lot of outreach with schools from elementary school age, national school age, yeah. <laughs> all the way up to university. So things like the Buster Keaton movies and the Charlie Chaplin movies will often get a great reception from little kids. And then if we're kind of, say, if we're showing cinema from Russia or Japan, maybe like, you know, say if we're showing a Japanese movie, the Japanese faculties in the universities in the Bay Area will often want their students to attend. So, yeah, it's kind of, it's very dependent on the project. Same as any movie. You know? And would there be very many Irish si silent no. movies? No. <laughs> no, there are some. It, it would be untrue to say that there aren't any. And um, I know that the IFI has done restorations of some of their silent titles. Um but our industry just wouldn't be comparable to no. France or the US or Denmark or Sweden. We just didn't have the size industry that other countries did. Because I think we've only in recent years, and when I say only in recent years, I probably am talking about, what, 20 years kind of developed film, the film industry. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely developed um, all the really. time and it's getting a lot, I mean, like the... Um, Fish and it's not the film board anymore, right? Is it, are they I don't know what it's not called. Sure. But there's definitely, you know, a lot of funding and support. Yes, a lot of work. Projects, yes, yes, which, um, yes. We're very lucky to have. It's not the same in every country, so it's nice to see that there is support of Irish talent and, you know, yeah, Irish contribution to world cinema. Whether it's whether you're making a film about Ireland or from an Irish perspective or not, you might be making something that has nothing to do with Ireland, but that, you know, uh, state money Ireland, is yes. willing to support to Irish. Support. Yeah, the Irish contribution. I mean, you look at the Oscars this year and the amount the Irish representation mm, is exceptional. Right. And it's not just Banshees. It's also, um, you know, Avatar and Elvis. And, you know, these are all Irish people who are really significant in the field and making great contributions to world cinema, not just to Colin Irish Kuhn. cinema on Colin Kuhn, which I just watched and was broken. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, the film industry in Ireland has really and truly taken off. It has really and truly, um, you know, you have to hands on to the arts uh, they have contributed quite a bit now I'm sure there's a lot of hoops you have to go through etc etc oh, but thing, yeah. yeah but uh, the film I mean we have um, um, a young chap down the road here he's got awards for snow and it was a little film just made out um, beside Lanesborough great well it's a little 10 minutes or yeah, something yeah, like that sure. but still there's another one do, uh, doing the rounds for the awards Harp Media mm -hmm. you know so there's, and these are all just in my area yeah, okay. yeah. you know so that's only wonderful stuff um so I'll come back to you again so if you want to get listeners if you want to get your pen and pencil out uh, we'll go back to where you can watch the silent films uh, and when um, when they're on display uh, the IFI uh, player as well but I'll come back and I'll check and you can write down where you're going to get to look uh, to see these and I suppose have a browse and see what you see yourself I, had, I didn't know about this this is all new to me no. So I live and learn. I'm blown away. I th really, truly think that anything to do with preserving our past yes. is very, very important because when people move on, the story isn't there to be told. You know, I, I people would ask me about things that I would remember as a child. Of course, yeah. Where other members of my family wouldn't remember because I was the oldest. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, you know, now older members of the family would remember back again but once that's gone it's gone yeah it's just another another layer like I think oral history is really important as well yes obviously it's just another way of supporting well it is yeah. oral history it's just history. A, yeah yeah and I think that's very important um, we'll give you a little break there Cathy Rose so we will and we'll talk to Des here for a few minutes very How many minutes have we got? We've got four minutes before the next ad, Des, mm -hmm. and then we'll come back and we'll chat again. We might play a little bit of music from uh, Enchanted Cree in the middle of all, uh, after the ads. Des, you're welcome. I come here, look, Arsla, sitting here listening to somebody who was 
relates to me with a wonderful performance. <laughs> we won't say she talks very, very well indeed. You must radio. be very proud of her. I am extremely. I am. I say it on live radio. It, it's an odd sort of experience to be so proud of of one of your siblings, and she's done so and well. Uh, but I know her, so her daughter. <laughs> but she has worked so hard, I know, over the years to uh, get to this level. Um, from the days in Rochester, 10 or 12 years ago, on minus 40 degrees, whatever it was. And, uh, you know, she went to the Selznick School, the Kodak School, and here she is now. Um, an archivist and uh, one of the very, very few people in America or in Ireland that are, are an archivist, as, as and, you know, and the information is, she has is fantastic. And I suppose what you have in your head, money couldn't buy. <laughs> yeah, no. but you know, you know, no. when you go through an experience of something yes. and you you do it, like I, I don't know much about editing film, but I do know some of the young ones that would have been editing film yeah. for college and things like yeah. that. And even like people move with their hands around, you have to have the hand when you chop up a piece, the hand in the right place coming yeah. back because you can't have half a hand going up there and the half a hand right. coming out of a drawer. Yeah, it kind of has to, there's a lot more to yeah. match. Learned experience, yeah. yeah. Versus, you know, I mean, the education I got at the Salsing School at the George Eastman Museum, I mean, was absolutely integral to me developing my career, but since then, so much hands-on learning. It gives you confidence beyond anything else, you know? Yeah, it would. Absolutely so it would. Des, you're an artist. Um, you I am. <laughs> you're going to the ads soon. Well, I have... Um one minute to go uh, with the ad, so no. I'll just tell people a little bit about you and then I'll come back okay, and chat with you. Des is a, a, an international artist. I remember one time, well, but that's actually this time last year, yeah. or was it, it was this time last year you were asked to do a painting of the girl that um, died in Iraq or Iran? That in, in, in Iran. Iran. It was that, yeah, that poor girl. Yeah. yeah. That's right. Masa Amini. Yes, Masa Amini, yes, for a lady, for an, an Iranian family in London. And uh, they were extremely happy with it, but it was a, a rather poignant uh, art piece of art to do. Um, especially is the sheer fact that they, they gave me a, a sort of a person, they were connected some way, and gave me a sort of a, an unusual photograph of her to paint. But I mean, it is always the most to paint something that, that's what she has strived to do. I don't know how, how Iran is today, but look, she, she, from a female point, they did try to put across a very strong point. And, uh, yeah, and I suppose Ukraine, um, all that's going on, Turkey, uh, yeah. Syria, all that's going on has taken away from, you know, it's very hard to keep up with what's going on in the world today and uh, so much destruction, whether it be man-made or God-made yeah. or whatever. Well, so the only thing an artist can do is actually paint the story and, and paint the visual and let people take what it is. I mean, this time last year, I painted a totally anti-war theme uh, with the help of uh, Nicole Metz in Germany, and she literally went down, wore clothes, and had an old case, tried to create an old railway station scene. I've seen that. And, that, and basically, trying to, which I imply, is that all wars seem to visually start in a railway station. Women, children, trying to get the hell out of it to get safe and then you have the massacre in between it goes on and on at the end I listen to my daughter when you listen to Des talking away here honest to god we can't get a word in address with them hold on I'll put them on the mic what were you saying there Des no it's not I was just actually before I do anything I'll have to can I mention my exhibition that's going to come up. Yes, you can mention your exhibition. Well, it is lovely because my art exhibition is going to start early in May in Le Hinch Art, in Le Hinch Art Gallery. Le Hinch. Yeah, Main Street Le Hinch. It's, it's all refurbished for two years ago. It's one of the best of the biggest art galleries in the West of Ireland. It's Sinclair, and it's owned by Rosie Kenny. And she has asked me to put in a X amount, just landscapes this year. So I'll be having a landscape exhibition in May in Le Hinch, in the Le Hinch Art Gallery. And I'm really looking forward to what, it. What date in May? It'll be starting the start of May, I think, roughly from the first dawn and to be for the summer. So oh, for I'll the summer? For the summer. So I'll roughly have five to six pieces of um, art. But
But again, as she suggested, landscape, because I'm particularly good and I particularly like the West of Ireland landscape, are though, as I say, she is on the wild Atlantic way as part of the, the whole thing. So there you are. That is the um, one interesting. Because I, I just want to come back there. I wouldn't have recognised you as much for landscape as I would for people. Portrait, portrait, portrait. And the other thing would be the sheep or. Uh, yes, animals, yes, mm, individual. Rather than. Well, the sea or... It's, it's funny, I have it, but but the thing about it is that I have been doing more portraiture because I've been asked to do it. Uh, but I absolutely adore, uh, what do you call it, the the um, uh, landscapes because especially where I were living in the west of Ireland, God, if you want to hit the sea from there, West Cork, Kerry, up along to Mayo, you know, the, the sea is... I was just absolutely fascinated by that. So I have a number of works done which wouldn't be as obvious, but they'll be there this year, I can assure you. So if you want to follow Des, Des is on Facebook, and it's Des O'Regan, O-R-E-G-A-N, and uh, you'll be able to catch up with Des's work. I mean, yes, some... Some, I'm blown away by some of your work. Well, all of your yeah. work, actually. I shouldn't say some, all of it. Actually, I just... Sent a one. I believe the last Thursday, it down the post office. I posted this poor picture of the cladder of the sun coming up early in the morning, and it was bought very quickly by a lady called Lisa Harvey Oran in New York City. And I said, "Look, Lisa, it'll be about approximately ten days." She texts me Monday morning. This is last time Monday morning. Des, I have it hanging up in my apartment in Central Park. I said, "I don't believe it." That they are, I said, the efficiency of the Irish postal system. Mm-hmm. But that particular picture, which is online, you can see it. It's it's the sun coming up and the glass water, and you see the the long walk, and it's all based on uh, an actual story, simple story, of a little mad guy from Carlow and Carlow and Carlow, which is, and he I, I, he told me this in Ilford uh, forty years ago. Uh, he was explaining the day, he had a few drinks and explaining the day, the morning he left on Cairo in a lorry and he was to get the train in Galway to get the boat to London and he said, you know he said, I don't use this word lightly I use the word destitute I said, that was Ireland I left he said, and he said he never, you can't use it lightly but that's the country, that's why he went at 16 to work in London but he said he left Cairo before dawn and he said heading for Galway to get there and he said over the bridge of the Clare he looked to the right I said and the sun came within view he said that was imprinted on my brain he said as I dug trenches in London he said Battersea and my love of Connemara now just a little story and, and I say Lisa is hanging on your wall in New York so that is just uh, a, f- a facet of uh, of store of paintings I like to paint I like to tell the story and uh, uh, the theme I like I have a painting in front of me here now which again it was done nothing right and again the older you get in in, in life I said I find that and, and I'm com- compass mentis, luckily um, I like to paint the story and the stories are in my head and I will pick somewhere and it may have happened in that station and then I try to visualise it and then I'll paint it. I mean, I have one painting up here is which of Athen Rye railway station, I suppose, about 40 years ago with the old carriages or the old brown and black carriages of CIE. Turn it around. And, and... Oh, yes. They had the wonderful ability in the months of November and December the ice would be on the inside of the window. Mm-hmm. And as the train filled up, you got a layer you couldn't see. They were fogged up. But I always remember this day, just standing waiting uh, to get onto the train. And I looked down the very end, and there was a lady with her legs crossed. Sitting on a seat at the end of the... Sitting on a seat at the end. And in those days, they had a little shop, which you got sweets or cigarettes or whatever it is. And I remember turning around, and the door was... One door was still open... And I bought the packet of cigarettes. I bought the packet of cigarettes. I turned around and she was gone. And I still don't know, did she go out the door or did she get onto the train? But I can always remember she was just looking down to the ground and her, and her legs crossed. Just a little facet. But again, that stuck 
in my mind, in my brain. So, and, and like, what was on her mind that day? Um, sorry? Like, she was sitting looking down at the ground, so what was on her mind yeah, that day? Well, it, 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 what was is it the journey she was going on, it, or has she come off her journey? Yeah, if we're standing, if we're standing in an airport and you're watching people coming off, and these exciting things that happen from people, which you put up the painting the recently of the, the man holding the child. Yep. And the first time he saw his grandchild from Australia, and the child was nearly four, and he was holding her in his arms and he was crying. Well, the whole impact of that is the child was scared out of his love or life. The old man, it was that moment of happiness that he's never going to recreate. But you actually looked at it the other day. You know the photograph. I know a lot of people. Um, um, it's actually up on my um, my Facebook page, uh, telling what's hap- who's on my program today yeah. for the arts program, and it is one of um, a gentleman uh, hugging his grandchild that he's seen for the first time uh, around Christmas time. I think it was Christmas, uh, 2017, and I was waiting to collect somebody in the in the airport, and I saw this man come out with a young family. And this man, my own age, bald head, and the little, little one with a little pack in her back, and he went down, and he grabbed her, and he cuddled her. And the expression on his face, I took a photograph. Yeah. <laughs> I had to punish I went up to the father, he told me, he said, we're back from Australia. He said, he, he's never met him before. <laughs> it's a Dublin family. So and again, that. as we were talking about earlier on, I mean, a photograph is a moment in yeah. time. And yeah. the other side of that is a painting is a moment in yeah. time. What you do, Cathy, uh, is you follow the story but with the painting it's a moment in time yeah. well yeah. absolutely the one thing about the painting is it's just you're telling a story a photograph has is instant it's there but the whole is the emotion that you put into the painting I mean look at that see that that is yeah that's Wicklow yeah, the the steam is coming off the train, the green, the Irish train painted in the Irish green. This is a true story. It's, it was the last holiday. I actually went with my father in 1959, about a child. Um, and we went down the train and we we're going, as you went through past Bray Head, you went under little tunnels. Yes. And I had the idea of the, the train that you, you would stand then and just look out the window because you had a corridor and you're lent on a bar on the corridor and I was way below it. my father was standing in the corridor and I can always remember as we went into Wicklow my father said to me he looked down and he said Des we're entering the Garden of Ireland <laughs> and I as a young not replying you didn't reply to your parents and those but it did go through my head and to this this is the reason why I been. I said my father was an avid gardener yet he was always able to have a fork and his little robin who I realised later he used freedom. <laughs> That's why we had the wrong. But he was a nab and I said, I remember saying to myself, my God, a sun gardener down here. <laughs> As we went through the wonderful, the Vale of Avoca, heading for Arklow. I said, oh my God. But again, that is a true story. And why, again, it, is, it was done out of, again, out of memory, which, as you can see. But recently, I found footage of 1956 done by the Red Rip Preservation Society, a moving picture of exactly what was in my mind, exactly the same impression as the... But one slight difference, I didn't realise that there were two lines, I had only in one track, it was actually two tracks, a double, a double track, that was all, otherwise the picture was exactly the same. So there you are, there's But the you wouldn't have realised it was two tracks because you were only travelling on one. Yeah. Okay, if, I'm probably taking up too much time here. No, you're not taking up too much time. We have there, another couple of minutes, so we have. There, we're going to finish off with Growing Your Hunt Breathe because uh, Growing Your Hunt is part of uh, Enchanted Cree uh, and just to um, recognise uh, International Women's Day. Uh, she's a very powerful singer and she's part of this um, very powerful group. Now, it's a mixed group, male and females in it, uh, but it tells the story locally of the time of the famine and how powerful everybody was in their role in that. But we have a few little minutes. We have another couple of minutes. Des, you do, on, on a lot of your um, paintings, write a little story about the painting. Always, I always tell the story about, because a lot of the paintings are actually true. The bases are true. So I should tell them, I mean, you take Mrs. Began's house. 
that's a, a parlour, our old fashioned parlour with the tilly lamp. It's not the tilly lamp. It's, it's, um, a, it's, it's an oil lamp. An oil, an oil lamp, lamp that's sitting on the table with the... With a bell. Bell, but it's sitting on the table with the yeah. old uh, tablecloth yeah. on it. And Miss Began was a lady, her husband was a stonemason years and years ago, and she died a long time. But she was living in this old grand house, nice house, Dunlow Hill. And she had a lady at one stage who used to help her, but she died on and so on. But as she got very old, in the good parlour, in the good room, as we called, she'd sit by the fire. As we, as when we were eight or ten years, we'd come in, and Mrs. Bean would always have the potato put into the fire, roast the potato, have a plate, cut it in half, load of butter, and we'd eat gorgeous roasted potatoes from the fire but she was living in a sort of another little world she had the bell and she just go over and ring for Kathleen ring the bell put her back down but nobody ever came because <laughs> Kathleen was a long time gone but the bell was always there and she I, it's okay we'll get that sorted out we'll ring for Kathleen but Kathleen never came but and again, did Mrs Bean have Alzheimer's? no uh, now looking back now um, can I say for certain no, because you used to remember each individual that came in because we were, let's say, three or four young lads we come in. But again, it was a day in Dunlow Hill when the doors were open from Gantley's down to Mickey Campbell's taxi or 32 house. Well, the doors were open in those days, so you didn't... Uh, yeah, they were all open. Um, you, you wandered in and out. As, as kids, you walked in and we we go in there because we get a bit... We get a bit. <laughs> potatoes but beautiful butter and they're gorgeous <laughs> so there you are that is, is just another little this small little facet oh, I, this is one man I did oh Brendan um, not Brendan Bean um, Neil Tobin Neil Tobin and I played Neil Tobin once I was in Nimmick in a hotel one day and I, and I had lunch with him he happened to be in a hotel sat down and I remember I said anybody I paid I paid him for a reason I did actually meet him and he was a most entertaining... He, he, this beautiful cork. He lived in Dublin for years. He lived around Drumlin somewhere. And that was the second time I met him. But in was it was in, actually, the Glenford Hotel, which I think is long gone. But the second time I met him, my mother had died. And it was her funeral. And Fannigan's, they're on the Drumlin Road. And the place, of course, cars parked everywhere. So I parked my car just behind Fannigan's. And I came back... And who was standing at the car? Neil Tobin. How do you think I'm going to get out of my house? <laughs> I blocked I blocked his driveway. So that's the only times I ever met. That's poor old Neil Tobin. With that, guys, we're going to have to finish up so we are. Cathy, can I thank Cathy Rose? Can I thank you for joining us? Uh, I'll put my put your information up on my Facebook page so I went so people can follow um, the yeah. um, one, one la- Can I say one last word? Yes. I want to thank everybody who follows my art, from Poland to to Australia, to, as I said, to Dick Burke, who is in his 80s and sits down and has his breakfast with me every Saturday morning and then watches the rugby, have to mention him, and from Germany to Holland to France to... I thank you all. Thanks and for joining us on Ross FM. And definitely, I thank you very much. OK. OK, there we have it. We're going to have a little bit of Cathy, of uh, Gronje, Cathy Hunt, Gronje Hunt uh, singing Breed, International Women's Day. Thank you for joining us on the Arts Programme. Um, we'll catch up with you next week. <laughs>